right, welcome back to the Goal Post. It's been a pretty exciting past couple weeks. We're coming back to you live to cover everything that's happened, mostly in the CFL. We've missed weeks four and weeks five, so it's time to get you caught up on those. And also look ahead to week six. Patrick, we're in the full swing of summer football right now. We are heading into week six now, so we're approaching the third. We're just over a quarter way through the season, and I mean, things are definitely starting to shape up where who's the contenders, who's the pretenders. Um, no surprise to, uh, to anyone, really. The West looks like the stronger conference usually is, but yeah, we're definitely getting in the swing of things. Uh, just There's definitely storylines starting to develop as the season continues to go along, and it really makes for... Well, it looks to be a very competitive CFL season we have. Yeah, I think more than last season right now, I think the CFL is actually picking up a lot of buzz. I think that the first five weeks have helped a lot with that. I think that they've had a lot of entertaining games in good spots. And I think that's where we're going to pick up today. Back in week four, the Argos faced the Lions, both trying to stay undefeated at 3-0. and um, And this was a game that was really prime end of a three game CFL weekend. They put it on the Monday night. This was everybody would be watching and really looking to see who's the best team in the CFL. Uh, the Lions had a really impressive game against Winnipeg that kind of vaulted them up into that, but nobody really knew what the Argos had. They had beaten the Ticats and the Elks, not exactly the strongest competition. And they both really came into this one firing. Yep. We were both in attendance for the marquee matchup of the CFL season thus far. And it was an interesting one because, like you said, BC was coming off a big win against the undefeated Bombers, which is a big prove-it game for them. And the Argos' defense the week before didn't have a great showing, allowing 31 to the Elks. So it was kind of a, what are we gonna, what are we looking for here? What can we expect? The line was uh, in BC's favor, three and a half points. And overall, I was very impressed by the Argos' defense. I think they picked up a lot of slack for what we'll say was a slow start on offense. I think the second half, you saw them starting to get going a bit more. But overall, I think the Argos came out ready to play. The defense especially, they got a little bit of help on special teams, which we'll touch on in a bit. But it was a huge win for the Argos, a massive step forward. But it, it feels like their momentum, honestly, may have gone away in a sense with the bye week right after. So it'll be interesting to see how they get bounce back. But yeah, going back to that game, killed with was... these buys, man. Like they, they get a bye for the first week of the season. They go, all right, you're going to give us a bye right off. We're injured right now. We'll take it. And then they rip off, you know, three wins here. And then they're suddenly sitting down again um, right at the start of the season. Everybody knows how long and grueling a CFL season. And suddenly the Argos already have two of their buys gone. And then they're about to embark on what looks to be a month road trip because uh, their next home game is August 13th. They have a game over in the touchdown Atlantic against Saskatchewan. Yeah, finish things off. But, yeah, it's they haven't had a favorable schedule, to say the least. No, uh, not at all. And I think that this is going to be the real test of the Argos is how they perform on the road here. Um, but back, like you said, to the game and the defense – Back uh, before the season, the CFL partnered with PFF for the first time, so they are scrolling through all that game footage, and every player on the field gets an individual grade. And I think that the PFF grades are a great way to kind of go back and look at this game because it was dominated by the Argos. Top uh, Five of the top nine graded players from week four were on the Argos. Uh, Chad Kelly, Cam Phillips, Fullerin, Ora Madale, uh Robertson Daniel, and Boris Beattie, and pretty much... That gives you the picture of the game 
and how they won this game. They had great quarterback play from Chad Kelly. Um, he was given the highest grade amongst offensive players for the entire week. He had an 86.4, went 23 for 29, 249, one touchdown, no interceptions. And that was pretty much what he had to be. Just He didn't have to be great due to how good the defense and special teams was, but he did just enough to really give the Argos the spark that they needed. Absolutely, and I'm really surprised Javon Leak wasn't on the, one of the top-graded players. Uh, it's kind of shocking, but you know, it's nice to see that they were, like you said, just very well-rounded team. Everyone was ready to, everyone was ready to pick up the slack for one of another. And I mean, I don't want to, you know, fresh off an extension. Do we give Dinwiddie credit for getting these guys ready to go? Maybe, and he's definitely earning, I think, both uh, you and I's more respect because it seems like he is kind of a winner, whether he makes the best decisions or not. He finds ways to win these games, and this was the biggest game of the season up until then. Uh, but, yeah, you really felt the game change when Javon Leak took that punt return 91 yards to the house. The Argos were down 7 nothing to start the game, and then it felt like it was going to open up right after that, but it really didn't. It was still a tight, contested battle. And overall, it was just the lackluster play and mistakes from Vernon Adams Jr. And obviously, you know, stellar play by the Argos defense. Yeah. Getting pressure on him, uh, actually catching the ball on defense, which is crucial. Um, but yeah, it was it was nice to see that Vernon Adams Jr., who was riding as high as you can imagine a quarterback was. Pretty much. Up until that game, you know, people were, you know, is Vernon Adams, MOP, uh, has he gone away from his old ways with the owls uh it it people are saying you know he kind of showed he went back to what his days in montreal were like but i think he he's he moved on from that but that was definitely six interceptions is i thought it might have broken some sort of record we we found out that it it didn't it was very close to breaking um another record but on the other side of the ball a record-breaking night in the sense that Robertson Daniel had one of the better nights um, from any defensive player I've seen in the CFL in a really long time. Four tackles, three interceptions. Uh, he returns one of those interceptions for a touchdown. He was just all over the field tonight uh, or that night. And I think that in a game with the Lions where the offense and especially the running game was struggling to get going early, they really gave them that needed boost. Uh, and turn this into a pretty crazy game. I think if you didn't find this game like wildly entertaining, then you should probably stop watching football. We had 69 points, 44 first downs, 742 yards of net offense, seven turnovers, a punt return, pick six, a brawl at the end. I mean, this was just a perfect Monday night game for the CFL and a perfect game from the Argos really in the second half. If I could get... A, non, a football fan but a non-CFL fan to watch a game to get them into the CFL, this would be a perfect game. It today. really would have been that, yeah. Because, it, it, like you said, it had everything, and, I mean, I'm assuming we'd probably grab an Argos fan or someone from Toronto to watch, so it would even be a better result for them. But overall, it was just, I think it was 31 points off turnovers for the Argos on that game, including the, the late pick six by... By Robertson Daniel just to, to top it off. He should have had one earlier, tripped uh, and fell, took took a wrong wrong path. But it was nice to see him get into the end zone and get that uh, pick six. And overall, it was just it was just beautiful. They they struggled with the run game in the first half, like you said, but it felt like they were committed to it in the second half. And I think that was a huge reason as to why they were able to stay ahead. Ulet ended up getting a touchdown open up the passing game a bit more for Chad Kelly, got the play action going, 
and the offense looked night and day from yeah. the first half to the second half. I was quietly concerned in the first half of because Chad Kelly obviously had the three rushing touchdowns in yeah. his debut. Didn't really do much in that second game. He, he didn't have uh, the the success. It was it was the AJ Ulek game with three touchdowns. And now I was I was oh, I was like, okay, is Chad going to be a, a one game wonder? But no, yeah. he he bounced back. Looked to be his old self. Did all he had to. Got a lot of first downs. And it looks like the Argos are the number one team in the league right now. Yeah, it, it really does. And I think that they cemented themselves as that. Uh, with that win, they jumped to the top of most power rankings or almost all the power rankings. Uh, and it was just overall a huge win for them. And the Lions ended up you know, kind of whimpering out of that game. They lose 45-24, and it ends up kind of setting up a big next week for them, but we'll get to that later. Elsewhere in the league, I was on site for the Red Blacks-Elks game in Ottawa um, where the Red Blacks got their huge first win, 26-7. to uh, Big games from running back to Montre Tuggle, which is becoming, you know, quickly one of my favorite names in the CFL. He had 17 carries for 126 yards and a touchdown. Um, and for an Ottawa offense that kind of generally has lacked a focal point, uh, he really gave them one in that game. And the other shining bright spot was obviously Tyree Adams. He had shown a lot of promise early in preseason of being, you know, a really fast-moving, uh, quick-paced quarterback, somebody who could get out of the pocket fast. Uh, and he was huge in this game. He was really what gave them the spark in the first quarter to put up those points. They obviously started slowing down, but he ended up completing 14 to 20 for 185 yards and rushing three times for 31 yards. But the story of it, um, unfortunately, was a hit low by defensive lineman Jake Cesarna on the Elks, who was given a roughing the passer penalty and the maximum fine by the league uh, midway through the fourth. And the Red Blacks have now come out and said that Adams will undergo surgery for a torn ACL. So things go from bad to worse in Ottawa, um, and his season's finished. Just a, it's a shame. And if you really, I, I don't want to fast forward too far. Yeah. But things did not get better for Ottawa after that game in their quarterback situation. No. And overall, this injury is just, it took away from a huge moment for the Red Blacks in their season. Obviously, again, their first win seemed like they had their next quarterback of the of the future. Tari Adams looked great out there, and then it's just. I don't want to say that that hit the hit was not clean, obviously, but I it wasn't uh, like he didn't have the football or anything. It was just not a great hit, and then it was a very poor result as yeah. well with the injury as seasons ending and with what looked to be one of the bright young quarterbacks in this league. So hopefully he recovers quickly and we will be able to watch him for many more seasons. But yeah, it, Ottawa they needed this one obviously because yeah. the East seems like. If you're 500, you're going to sneak into the playoffs. Yeah. So for them to get these wins early, especially against an Edmonton team that does not have a win yet this season, yeah. you have to win those games. And then obviously when they get up against Hamilton and Montreal, those are games that are going to be must win for them. But now we get to speculate on their quarterback uh, yeah, I, I think this gives us a good chance or a leaping off point to go into week five because you really can't tell the story lines of the Red Blacks right now without jumping to that Hamilton game. Otherwise, in week four, Winnipeg kind of just greased out a win against Montreal 7-3. to um, They had 184 yards along the ground. They just took a complete run game strategy in the rain, which was good. Um, and, you know, Montreal didn't really have an answer for that. It was a really messy game in total. You didn't mu miss much. Yeah, very forgettable game. Yeah, but jumping to week five, um, 
the big deal with the Red Blacks, they lose Tyree Adam, and they, you know, they look and they go, oh, okay, we're getting Jeremiah Masoli back. Masoli, obviously, the Oregon product has been kind of a mainstay in the CFL for, I don't know, the past six, seven years. And they get Jeremiah Masoli back against a weak Ticats team and are looking to build off of that big win against Edmonton. And, you know, shortly into the second quarter, um, Masoli takes a weird step on a non-contact play. And all of a sudden, you see him on the sidelines with a walking boot. And all of a sudden, you see the press release the next day that the Red Blacks have now officially ruled out Masoli for the rest of the 2023 season due to a ruptured Achilles. So, like, back-to-back weeks, you get quarterbacks suffering season-ending injuries. You can't make that shit up. No, you can't. And like we said, I mean, Tyree Adams, that was, a you know, kind of overshadowed their win a bit but then it's okay we have new light jeremiah's coming back like the season's not lost this. like this was our guy at, from from last year like he, he's back like let's go let's build off this win and i just feel really bad for him like overall because the guy's been in the league he's he's done a lot and he was a contender for mop going into the year obviously you know he missed the first couple weeks but that, that kind of goes to show the respect that he has from not only the Ozmakers, but just the people around the league, that Jeremiah Masoli is one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL. And to just see him in his return after missing an entire year. I know. And it's just over r- right away. And I got a fun little stat for you just to kind of show the, the chaos that Ottawa has been through in their quarterback situation. So obviously there was not a – well, not obviously, but there was not a – 2020 season due to COVID. So since 2019, so three seasons, Ottawa has used nine quarterbacks, nine starting quarterbacks, including one of Devlin Hodges, who I completely forgot started a game for the Red Blacks. But nine, been chaos. Yep, nine starting quarterbacks have taken have started the game for them since in the past three seasons. That's insane, and and it's so ironic too because that was kind of what. The Red Blacks started their new identity in this league was was great quarterback play. Henry Burris, like guys who could absolutely connect, and it was something that the fans could get really interested in and involved in. And and you know, being at that Red Blacks game, there is a atmosphere for football game there, and it was a great atmosphere. They got the win. There was fireworks going off. The stadium was packed. It's a new stadium. It's new amenities. You know, you really need something to kind of re-kickstart this team back into kind of relevance and they are just being dealt blow after blow which is why I think that there's no better time right now we spoke about it before um, but time to speculate on who they can kind of bring in at quarterback to bring a bit of life to this room bring a bit of life to this fan base and you know stay competitive make the playoffs this year despite all the odds I think that would be a great story so why don't you lead us off here with the big fish our boy demo our boy. Well, this obviously we should all, um, preface everything we're saying by now by this is speculation. There's nothing as of this recording. Nothing has been set in stone, but it looks like it's kind of the writings on the wall that McLeod Bethel Thompson, who is just released from the USFL, will most likely be be signed by Ottawa. I would assume, and I mean. We, you would know him. You would know that name from the Argos. He's been with them for the past couple of seasons. Was on last year's Great Cup team. Unfortunately, wasn't in the Great Cup game or did not 
close out that great cup game but i mean i think that's probably their best option right now i saw they sign a couple other players including um the the pre- oh no i'm blanking on his name but he was a a preseason sensation pigrom yes that yeah. thank you pigrom with um the Blue Bombers, he had a great preseason performance, and he's from Birmingham, Alabama. He had some great interviews. He made the Blue Bombers roster as their third stringer. Um, he dressed for the first three games of the regular season before being released when Winnipeg re-signed uh, Dakota Prukop, following a bit of a USFL stint as well, who is obviously, you know, he's been around the CFL for a while. The one thing with McLeod is, following last season's Grey Cup, McLeod's big reason for wanting to leave and go to the USFL uh, to New Orleans was that he wanted to be closer with his family. So this is the only question, right? Like you're now finished a USFL season with New Orleans. You played 11 games with them. You did a whole season. Now are you going to uproot everything and go to Ottawa, a different city that you haven't played in before back in Canada, right? Like that's the question. That is the question, and I think the answer is going to be yes eventually whenever this deal gets done because i the timing's the timing is too it's too perfect and and he had a productive season he went seven and three with the breakers in new orleans and led the league in passing yards before ultimately losing in the first round of the playoffs so it's not like he is out of touch in any sense he's probably in perfect shape for football it really does make too much sense if they can entice him to go to ottawa it's like an instant credibility to the roster, instant production at that position, and I think it'll it could flip their entire season around. Well, that's what I was gonna start by saying. Like, if they get McLeod as their starting quarterback, I mean, obviously the Bull Levi Mitchell situation in Hamilton's kind of fluid. It's ongoing with his injuries, but Ottawa would be a contender in the East with McLeod as at quarterback. Absolutely, I don't think they'd be the best team in the East, but they would be fighting for a playoff spot because. This guy's done it. I think he's better than Cody Fajardo. Um, and I've, They actually have a decent offense there, too, and, and I mean. a good defensive line. So if you can put some things together. The foundation's there. Yeah. So you just kind of need the – that's what I thought with Jeremiah Masoli back. Ottawa's going to be competitive. Keep yeah. an eye out for them. And, I mean, with McLeod, I do think they will be competitive. I think he would look terrible in a Red Blacks uniform. But <laughs> it is what it is. got to make these sacrifices – yeah, um, but I think McLeod will be kind of excited because he doesn't have to go through like the grind of yeah. a CFL preseason. Doesn't have to go to a training camp. Just gets He's to pick kind it of right fresh, back up. Gets to step in and probably what if he gets signed? It won't be week six. I assume he starts probably around week seven, maybe week eight. So you kind of have like just over half a season to play, uh, plus playoffs hopefully for him. But Dave Naylor was saying that he might be looking at NFL. Uh, Training camp. Macbeth is holding out for NFL jobs. I I can't see that. I mean, our our boy Nathan Nathan Rourke is fighting for his life to get a, a job with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he was a much better quarterback and, and a about lot twelve younger years younger, yeah, than uh, McLeod. So I I wish McLeod the best in his journey to yeah. find his way onto an NFL squad, but. Not too I think sure about that. Better suited for a CFL starting job. Yeah, and and with that, we'll switch to some other options here. One of them being Michael O'Connor. He's from Orleans, right outside of Ottawa. Uh, he originally got drafted by the Argos in the 2019 draft in the third round. Uh, he had a great career at UBC. I think he almost threw for 10,000 yards. He won a Vanier Cup. Um, he's been been without a team since uh, the Lions let his contract expire uh, over the winter. 
Um, he's only 27, um, and he started one game last year. He went 15 for 27 for 157 yards and an interception. Obviously not the best option, um, but definitely somebody who is a low risk because you don't have to trade anything for him. Um, oppositely, we bring back all roads lead back to Trey Ford here. Like let's let's get down to the nitty gritty. Trey Ford is just sitting on a depth chart in, in Edmonton. Um, you know, Ottawa's GM has shown last year he traded a fourth round pick for Nick Arbuckle when uh, Masoli originally went down. He's shown he can pull the trigger. Is Trey Ford somebody that they are looking at? You think? I would hope so, and obviously Edmonton is just a, a chaotic situation right now with just everything going on. How we'll get into how they lost this week's game, but they Edmonton drafted Trey Ford eighth overall in 2022, and he was the highest quarterback to be drafted in a CFL draft since 1980, Man. and he's still just sitting on a bench. Yeah, is, is he even dressing? He's not even dressing. Yeah, didn't dress against Ottawa. Games. Yeah, so. It's almost like he's kind of in purgatory over in Edmonton there, and they're just leaving him on an island with nothing to, do, nothing to like, you know, develop him, uh, practice, give him confidence as a starting quarterback for a young guy. So I think Ottawa should absolutely be looking into yeah, this. Be making calls here. Yeah, because why, why wouldn't you? You don't have anything to lose. Uh, you don't have a quarterback right now. I don't think uh, Dustin Crum's going to do it for you because he just kind of seems like he likes running the ball instead of throwing it. But Trey Ford would – I would say that's their number one option if they can pull that off. Number two, McLeod. And then kind of after that, it gets a little muddy. Yeah, and something uh, interesting, Third Down Nation pointed this out, um, that for Ford and for Pigrom, you know, they're actually pretty similar size to Crum, who, you know, Kari Jones, the offensive coordinator – with the Red Blacks, is already kind of tailoring a playbook, too. Um, they're both pretty tall, big quarterbacks. Uh, Ford is six foot, 185. Uh, Pigrom's 5'10", 200. So it's obviously um, two similar kind of play types, two similar quarterback styles that Kari Jones could work with. But, um, you know, all things aside, the Red Blacks have to do something fast because – you already lo- dropped a game to Hamilton, one of those important Eastern matchups that we mentioned earlier, and you can't keep affording to really drop games. They play the Blue Bombers this Saturday, which we'll get to next in our Week 6 preview, but that is just going to be a sludge of a game. You almost have to like write it off and focus on the next week already because Winnipeg's not easy to kind of mess around with. But, yeah, the Red Blacks are in a bit of a state of disarray. And you, you touched on it a bit, the, the fan base there. Uh, it feels like they've kind of been robbed. Well, actually, they had it too too good too early. Yeah, in a sense, kind of like Vegas. Yeah, where they just were, were in really successful. Cubs. You had Henry Burris, one of the all time greats, as your quarterback. Everything was just so so easy for them at the beginning. Yeah. and I would just, that's kind of how I'm assuming they built that fan base that they have, along with the stadium and the location, everything surrounding that area. They deserve better. Yeah, they do deserve better, and I think the east in general just deserves better it has like the past couple of years at least it feels like it's kind of a two-team conference yeah and it's been a long time since all four teams were competitive and winning games and it's a long time since the east has just been considered better than the west and yeah. that trend is continuing this year yeah it's unfortunate um one team that isn't doing well in the West is the Stampeders, who continued their woes against the Bombers. They now fall to 1-3 after a 24-11 to loss to Winnipeg. 
they are in a similar boat of struggling quarterbacks, but you know, they seemingly have their guy in Jake Meyer that they are, you know, putting all their efforts towards and all of their resources behind. Um, but he has just been struggling. They got out to a really good lead in the first quarter of that game, 10-1, after about 15 minutes in the first quarter. Um, but they would add a punt single the rest of the way. Like, they absolutely cannot carry their performances through games. We've seen that being a problem so far this year, um, coming out to these really hot starts. Um, but Winnipeg just kind of extinguished them. They're a good team. Big bounce back for Winnipeg. Yeah. They look to be... The Winnipeg's back on track, but back to Calgary and Jake Meyer, it's uh, it's not pretty. Their their offense has been struggling lately. Uh, you go back the week before against Saskatchewan, it felt like they probably should have won that game. Uh, went to overtime, they lost, and that that kind of is the big pendulum swing in the standings. Saskatchewan three and one, yeah. Calgary now one and three. So that's a huge game to lose, and then. You have a chance to kind of make a statement, bounce back game against one of the better teams in the league, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and you don't put up any points in the second half. So how can you expect to win when you're scoring 11 points a game and, you know, Jake Meyer, the, the stat line, 122 yards and an interception? It's a terrible stat line, and it shows just how little they got going here. Another thing was that their run game completely dried up. Diedrich Mills came out really hot. First carry, 33 yards um, to kick off a seven-carry, 74-yard first quarter. Part of that, you know, really explosive start to the game. Um, but then afterwards, he would only get seven carries for 23 yards for the rest of the game. Uh, didn't get 100 yards on the game and only had two carries after the break. As the Stampeders kind of completely abandoned their run game in the second half, this has kind of been a bit of a trend in the CFL. Teams have kind of had a Bit of a tough time getting their running game going in general this year. Um, but, you know, Winnipeg never turned the ball over. Calgary had been generating an average of three turnovers per game so far. If they had anything, it was their defense being able to kind of make up for the lack of offense. But you can't, uh, like, rely on that every week. It's going to dry out. No, and I think we kind of saw that uh, with, with BC a bit. Like, everything has to give at some point. And yeah. when – when your defense is lackluster in a game, which they were in this one, your offense has to step up. We talked about it with the Argos. You know, when the yeah. offense wasn't wasn't there, the defense stepped up. And it's just that's how good teams find ways to win. That's uh, no secret. But Calgary definitely has to not, like, make any major changes, but they do need to, like, find something. They have yeah. a couple tweaks, whether it's, you know, get the running game going throughout or you come out maybe throwing the ball more with Jake Mayer. Yeah. It's it's a different situation, but I like I think they're a better team than being one and three. I think so too, and I think that it's a uncharacteristic year for them. Everybody kind of keeps waiting for them to pick up their performance, and it, it's true that with these teams struggling, um, like the Stamps and the Elks, you kind of have to think that those Eastern teams are licking their chops a bit to get to sneak into that last spot. Um, but one of those teams that kind of makes that harder and harder each week in the West is BC because they got back on their feet um, against Montreal. Vernon Adams facing his old team. He goes 20 for 25 for 283 and a touchdown. And most importantly, he never turned the football over after six interceptions the week before. Um, BC seemed to not skip a beat. Montreal really did try to hang in in the first half here, and I think they made a game of it. Um, but BC just kind of showed their experience in the second half. Huge bounce back game from BC. Uh, 
big question of how they're going to respond after Vernon. Well, Vernon Adams more specifically after throwing six interceptions. Nice to see him get back to the way his season started, especially against his former team. I'm sure that felt great. So, yeah, BC's definitely back on track. The, the running game was going. Sean Chivers, 63 yards and a touchdown. And my biggest thing when we were both at that BC-Toronto game, I'm in awe of BC's receiving corps. They seem so deep, and it feels like you have three to four guys that at any point they could be the number one receiver today. And yeah. I think it's um, uh, Dominique Rimes leagues the league in – touchdowns receiving touchdowns i'm going to fact check this really quickly dominique rhymes does lead the league in receiving touchdowns sorry bear with me here but it's uh it's you know javon cody was the guy who stepped up and got the touchdown this week keon hatcher lucky whitehead they got a real deep team over there it's it's impressive and i mean lucky whitehead missed the game against the argos bounced back like it's they can just guys in pick them out put them here and it doesn't matter because that receiving corps dare i say it is carrying vernon adams jr a little bit it's hard not to to ask the question at the very least because you always wonder you know is it a chicken or the egg situation i think that it makes him i think they line up well with his style of play because of how often he rolls out if you have three guys who are able to create separation and get open downfield that makes being a rolling out quarterback, I think, a lot easier. Yeah, and I think it gives Vernon confidence as well. Yeah. It's like I can throw a 50-50 ball, and it's probably going to be 60-40 in my guy's favor rather than 50-50. But overall, it was nice to see BC bounce back. Let's let's switch over to Montreal quickly. I don't know what to make of this team. Damien, I'm so confused. I have a little theory that Cody Fajardo is, the, is like the benchmark to be a average starting quarterback in the CFL. Pretty if, much. If you're better than him, you're you're good, and if you're worse than him, you're you're no good. I think he's the like right down the he's the grocery stick of of CFL quarterbacks where like he's he's not going to kill you, but I don't think he's going to go out there and win you a game. Like he he th- he was all right. He threw two, 297 yards, but then no touchdowns, no interceptions. He had a rushing touchdown, but it was the seven sacks, too. Like, yeah, BC it, gets seven sacks. They really need to protect, do a better job of protecting him. I think that's part of the issue. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of those yards that he got were kind of in garbage time a bit. You, yeah. like, you go down early, you have to throw the ball a lot more, obviously. But, like, you have Austin Mack, who's probably a top five receiver in the CFL, I think, this year. He's leading yep. the league in receiving yards. Yeah, he's taking it by storm. Yeah, so it's nice to see him going. And Kaon Julian Grant, and then you got – probably the best running back in the league as well and it just feels like he only Fajardo ran the ball more than Steinbeck did in this game I know and I think that's what's becoming concerning about the Alouettes is somebody who was an absolute game breaker just about a year ago um, is kind of now in the position of averaging 1.4 yards per carry he's just not He's not reaching the same kind of pinnacle and the same consistency that he was but it's also kind of a lack of yeah giving him the ball I think that Montreal really needs to figure out what type of team they want to be, and then they can kind of get back to being on track. They're back to 500 after a second loss to a West Division opponent. They're not great against the West this year. And I think that for Montreal to really, you know, similar to Ottawa, get some steam back in that Alouettes organization. They got a new coach, a new general manager. They need to keep their head above water these next few weeks. It's going to be a tough grind for them. They play Toronto now. Uh, on Friday night, they play the best team in the league. They're at home, which helps. 
um, and they really have to make that game at the very least competitive. Absolutely, uh, they do. It's, I mean, it's early to say that this is like a, a must win or like a can't lose or anything, but it's just a big game for Montreal. It's the first time they're gonna see the the undefeated Argos. It's divi- it's a conference game, and you know, there's a bit of a rivalry there as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see Montreal off a loss on yeah. the road. Now they go back home. The Argos off a bye. We'll get more into the preview in a bit. I was getting ahead of myself there. But <laughs> Montreal is, I think they just need to find ways to get the ball in Steinbach's hands more and stop being reliant on Cody Fajardo. I know you have good wide receivers and you want to get them the ball too. But I think the focal point of your offense is your running game. And whether you get him touches in in screen plays running the ball little pitches doesn't matter just find ways to let him carry your team and then build around him with the play action like everything else will come from Steinbeck so yeah I agree and I think that this week's going to be a big week for a lot of teams we're heading into week six Uh, Patrick mentioned it we got a preview for you now and there's four games that are going off the first game is going to be Thursday night um, with the Ticats and Elks, this obviously isn't one that anyone's really circling, um, but it is one that if you're a Ticats fan, you need a good, dominant, uh, believable performance from them. They're only two and a half point favorites right now. The over/unders at 42 and a half, and I think that you know if there's any time for the Elks to get a win, it's going to be kind of this Hamilton team at this point in the season, and you know it really should have been. Ottawa if they were going to win uh, back in week four. But for the Elks, I just want to see the Elks get a win bad, man. They had it last week. Yeah. Uh, CJ Sims, um, I don't know what happened. He he forgot how to play football. Yeah. And uh, they were winning the entire game. It was, it was a pinnacle CFL game if you were watching it. I kind of hope you weren't because that, that's the opposite of a reflection on the league as the BC-Toronto game. Uh, but yeah, Edmonton was winning the whole game. <laughs> yeah, we forgot to cover that one. It's okay, we, we don't... jumped ahead a bit, but yeah, it was the only thing that you need to talk about is the ending. Yeah, and it was just C.J. Sims forgot the rules of the CFL and he let the ball die in the end zone. Didn't bring it out, which is a point. And Saskatchewan would go on to win twelve eleven, and Edmonton is now zero and five. It shows the importance of having Canadians on the field. People forget that often. You know, what are, you know, that push and pull between having Canadians and American on your roster. And this shows, you know, a Canadian football player isn't letting that ball die in the end zone. He's picking it up and booting it out. We've got some of the craziest highlights over the years from the CFL of people getting into punt battles in the end zone. And I think that, you know, for a game where a lot of things were going right for Edmonton and they finally kind of, their defense had a bounce back game. Uh, they limited the Riders, you know, pretty much all game to keep them till twelve points. Like for for that to happen to go out is really, really, you know, not a good thing for the Elk season, and it's really disappointing for the fans. And uh, you know, you lose again at the Tie Cats this week, and it's just things are getting even darker. So you're going home after a loss like that it's in Edmonton against. Uh, not great Hamilton team missing Bo Levi Mitchell. You got Matthew Schiltz as their quarterback. Taylor Cornelius actually looked solid last week. Yeah. He was he was confident in the pocket. He was scrambling well, actually running the ball, taking contact, making some throws. And I was impressed by him. I, I hadn't seen him play like that up until this point. 
this season. I would still probably rather watch Trey Ford play football, but that's okay. And Hamilton, like this game, when I look at it on paper with these quarterbacks, this just screams chaos to me. Like, yeah. I think there's going to – I would set the over-under on turnovers at like three and a half. Yeah, and and the weird thing about that is I agree with you, but I still don't know if it'll hit 42 and a half. Oh, the, uh, no, because yeah. it feels like they're no. going to drive down yeah. the field, get inside the 30, and then fumble throw it, it in an yeah. interception, fumble the ball, and then and then whoever got it is going to go down the field and do the exact same thing. And there's just going to be no points on the board, and it could be a repeat of Saskatchewan-Edmonton last week. Yeah, I think that this game is a good one for the under. I think that both of these teams, yeah, are just going to be fucking crawling and scratching for a win, and, you know, so, some might say for the scheduling to not throw this game um, on the Thursday because you have the MLB break. Obviously, things aren't perfect here, but you know, at, at the very hope, best we can hope for a somewhat entertaining game between two teams really like battling for wins. Um, but I really don't know about this one. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> this game just reeks of desperation. It From, really, like, it really teams, does. It's gonna be ugly. But I also think that because of the importance of this game, and you know, either Hamilton gets their second win or Edmonton gets their first. They're going to be doing everything in their power to yeah. win these games. I mean, I think that that'll at least yeah. bring some entertainment factor. Um, but moving to Friday, we mentioned it a bit earlier. The Argos are traveling north to Montreal to play the Alouettes. The Argos' opening odds right now are kind of sitting around minus four and a half or minus five, depending on where your book is. And I think that this is definitely a spot where, yeah, it's kind of building up to be either. You know, the Argos have been on by. This might be a letdown spot against a Montreal team who's really looking for a win at home. I think that the uh, factors for that are kind of prime. Um, but Montreal's going to have to do a lot to show that they can hang with the Argos. I don't think that they, they're out of the woods just yet in that sense. Absolutely not. Uh, I had this similar thought to you where I, th- I thought this was going to be a letdown game. I think the line I saw on FanDuel... I don't want to speak for other books, but I saw a fan duel that it opened up at three and a half for the Argos, which made me also more think like, why is that line so small? It's right. a trap game similar to the Edmonton Saskatchewan line last week. It was just way too small and it just, your alarm bells go off, but now it's moved to four and a half, five. And I wouldn't be surprised if it kept moving in that direction. It, I got to think the Argos off a bye week to prep against the rivals this game kind of feels like not a prove a game, but a, a game that the Argos want to make a statement against the second ranked team in the East right now. And I, I want to see Chad Kelly just kind of throw the ball. I, I know, I mean, it was just they, they abandoned the run game a little bit. I want them to kind of open up with that, establish a physical presence early on, and then just open it up for Chad because the throws he was making in that second half of the game. They're just beautiful balls, and his arm power is off the charts in this league. And, you know, we've talked about it before. He reads these defenses really well, loves when they play man on him, and it's just— And I think that's a great plan because I think that he plays a lot better when he's more comfortable. Of course, any quarterback does. But in the sense of, yeah, not feeling like he has to force passes. This is a team in Montreal that a few weeks ago let up a ton of yards on the ground. So I think that— this is an A.J. Ouellette game to start. I would love him for an anytime touchdown, uh, just as a side note. But, yeah, you open up that run game. You 
you take advantage of the fact that you have both A.J. Ouellette and Andrew Harris on your team, shove it down Montreal's throat, and then open up that passing game for Kelly, let DeMonte Cox, let these receivers kind of spread their wings a bit, who have kind of, you know, individually had impressive games uh, across the season so far, but we haven't had a, you know, a game where all of the Toronto receiving core is really getting touches and a lot of yards. So I think that's a great uh, plan of attack. The over-under is at 47.5 in this game. I think that's something that it could realistically happen. Um, definitely more so than the first game. Um, but, yeah, just something to keep an eye on. I think to, for that over to hit, it, Toronto is going to have to do it because yeah. I'm looking at the points for and against for Montreal right now, and it's as lackluster as you can imagine. 79 points for compared to Toronto, who has 120. Yeah, uh, it's po- a big gap. Points against, Montreal's got 76, which isn't a lot. And then the Argos have 69 points against. Nice. But it feels like... I don't know. Toronto's defense should have another dom- not dominant performance, but they should be able to kind of shut this Montreal offense down if, unless Steinbeck has one of those vintage games that we constantly saw last year. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Toronto's going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting for that over to hit. Yeah, I think so too. But moving on to Saturday uh, where we have another game that we kind of mentioned a bit earlier. We have Winnipeg traveling to TD Place in Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks. Um, the opening spread right now is minus nine for Winnipeg. Uh, this is obviously a game where they are extremely favored due to the quarterback position. I think that the over/under set at 44, 44 and a half, depending on where you get it. But I think that this is a game that Winnipeg wins and wins convincingly. There's not much to pick here or even talk about. I don't think. I think this is just a game that you have to almost like move on from. Absolutely, I. It's a four o'clock start on a on a Saturday, and I, I, I. You're right. I don't have a lot to say about this game. It's in Ottawa. I mean, those fans are probably going to be excited and then quickly disappointed if I had to guess. I would take Winnipeg on this spread. I can see this. I can see them winning this game by 21 points. Yeah. I don't see how Ottawa is going to be able to really put up points because, I mean. Crum wants to run the ball. I don't think that's a secret. As quarterback, we saw it when he came in last week. He just wants to run the football. So I think if Winnipeg takes that away and forces him to throw the ball, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, and I think that any other team other than Winnipeg, you could say, oh, Ottawa's defensive line could really shake something up here. Winnipeg's got a rock-solid offensive line. They protect Kalaros really well. I think that this is a game where – if they can't get to him like they can usually get to other quarterbacks, it'll get out of hand really fast. I think if they do have some success, they can kind of draw this game out a bit more, but it's really just preventing the inevitable. And I tried to convince myself, you know, maybe Winnipeg will overlook them or, you know, it'll be a letdown spot, but I just think Winnipeg's too too much of a veteran team yeah. that's seen so much of this league and that they're not going to take Ottawa lightly and just keep the foot on the gas. Yeah, I agree. Um, But that brings us to our last game and definitely the best matchup of the week. Saturday night, 7 p.m., Calgary at Saskatchewan. This is about as CFL as it gets. It's in Saskatchewan. These teams, you know, the opening line is is Calgary plus one and a half. So this is a game where obviously the odds makers are looking at it, and this could really go either way. You have Trevor Harris, who's been playing really well for Saskatchewan. He's kind of cemented himself as that third best, fourth best QB in the league. Um, and 
I think that all things kind of lead through Harris and how well they perform. You saw last week against the Elks when they have a tough game on offense, things become really close. So if Calgary's defense um, can kind of step up this week, I think that they have a real shot, but this one could go any way, I think. Yeah, if you have to pick a game to watch on Saturday, I would highly recommend you take this one instead of the one we were just talking about. It's the rematch. Yeah. It's the rematch of the overtime battle. We mentioned it earlier in this episode. Uh, Calgary, or Calgary lost, sorry, 29-26. Saskatchewan was the winners. And this time they're going back to Saskatchewan, which really isn't an advantage. Uh, I was watching the, the Edmonton-Saskatchewan game last week, and they were just talking about how bad Saskatchewan's been at home. At home, yeah. The past, couple, the past two years. Sorry, I don't want to say a couple. But it's this feels like a... This is a must-win for Calgary, I would say. Yeah. I was saying before, you know, Montreal, Toronto, it's it's not a must-win for Montreal, but it's a big, like, prove-it game for them. But this, for Calgary, already going, already losing one to Saskatchewan earlier in the year. Now you get the rematch only four, three weeks later. This is huge. And yeah. this is a big prove-it game for where you think you're going to be. Are you going to be a bottom feeder, or are you going to be competing for that last playoff spot? Yeah. So, We'll see what Jake Mayer and that, that Calgary offense has, but, I mean, I would lean Saskatchewan in this one. I, I know the, their their struggles at home. I don't know if it's they put too much pressure on themselves, but they have some of the best fans in the league for sure. So it's very surprising to me that they, they struggle at home. And It's I a mean, weird game in that way. Like, Calgary might not be as bad as their record in- indicates, but also Saskatchewan might not be as good as their record indicates right now. Like, it's really a, a tale of two teams here, like, Two of the Stamps' losses have come against the Lions and the Blue, Bomber, Blue Bombers. Those are two really good teams. Um, and then the other was to the Rough Riders. So they've had a tough schedule so far this year as well. Um, and for the Rough Riders, two of their wins so far have come against the Elks. So it's not a team that you can really put your foot down and say that this is a good football team, and I know it. Um, I think that the offense moves the real ball really well. Um, they have a bit of trouble getting into the end zone, obviously, with the amount of points that they've been putting up. Um, but I think that, you know, with neither defense being absolutely, like, solid, I think that Calgary has a chance to win this game if they protect the ball. Um, but the same way that the Rough Riders kind of beat them earlier in the season could definitely happen again. I do think Saskatchewan's not as good as their record. Yeah. Uh, they have a, a minus point differential, 85 points for, 95 against. So that's uh, – we've – Back in the NFL season, we, we were diving into that and how we I think uh, point differentials a good uh, good statistic to use to see if you're you know kind of real pretender. You, how are you, are you sneaking these games away and then getting blown out when you play the better teams? Yeah, that kind of seems a little bit like what Saskatchewan's doing. They looked awful last week against Edmonton. I don't think Calgary's as bad as record, so I definitely agree with you on that. Where like this game is going to provide clarity in the Western Division because yeah. I don't I think it's BC and Winnipeg are the top two teams in the West. Toronto's the best team in the East. And then I think it's just Shit whatever. Show, yeah. I think Edmonton's the worst team in the league. And then sandwiched in between that is just chaos. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah. Because eventually Hamilton's going to figure it out when Bo Levi comes back. I'm yep. going to assume. Hopefully Ottawa gets McLeod or Trey Ford or some com- some quarterback that can make them competitive. Yeah. And then Montreal is going to be hanging around 500 probably all year. 
So Calgary really needs this one to kind of get back in, maybe send Saskatchewan kind of back to reality. Make a bit a of bit. a statement, get back on track for the season. And overall, I just love when these two teams play in the, the uniform matchup. It, oh, it's you, all you time. Said, you said it just screams CFL. Like These are actually the two teams I think of when I think CFL. Yeah, and I think that this will be a great game under the lights in Saskatchewan. I think that I don't hate Calgary Moneyline. They're at plus 110 on most things I'm seeing. A lot of people are saying, you know, take them straight up. Why not at that number? If you want a little bit of a plus odds, um, I think I might go with that. I don't know. I like the. I got a soft spot for the Riders, though. I like Trevor Harris. Rouges matter yeah. on these one and a half point spreads. No right? kidding. Like that's uh, that's the one thing to be careful of, I guess, to say in in CFL betting, where it's like, oh yeah, you know, plus one and a half. Why wouldn't I just take the money line? Look at that hand look, quick. Look, yeah. look at last week, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, just out of nowhere. Just one point is the difference. There's. Not a ton of overtimes really in the CFL either. I know these two teams went earlier. They the total set up forty four and a half. The game is twenty nine twenty six, so it it went over. Uh, we when they played before, and I I don't know what to expect in this game. I like that over though. Yeah, I, yeah, I would probably not take great it too. defenses. Yeah, and you gotta hope Calgary just figures something out on offense because yeah. I can't see it getting much worse. I mean they've gone on an entire half without scoring a point and three quarters i think without scoring a touchdown yeah or a field goal because they just got the one point yeah it's uh it's, it's ugly in calgary but i think this is a perfect opportunity for them to bounce back and just kind of cement themselves as competitors in the west division as opposed to basement dwellers yeah and there you have it that does it for our week six preview we got you caught up pretty much from weeks four to six in the cfl We'll come back to you next week, catch up on how these games went. Um, but get out there, get watching football this weekend, and thanks for listening. Patrick? See you later, Damien. See ya.